Hello. How are you? <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I just made Savannah go deaf. <laughs> she started it intro. and the, the intro music was like super loud. But it's normal now. I'm sure we fixed it. Okay. All righty. Well, are you ready? Oh, I'm, I'm ready. Savannah. And I'm ready. I'm Savannah. <laughs> Not Malisha. And this is Burden of Proof. Um, so you're ready, you said. I'm ready. Today we're starting to finish our little Black Widow mm-hmm. series, which I've loved doing. It was such a good change of pace for me. Yes. And really enjoyed it. I've loved it because I love old-timey anything. Yeah. We've been covering um, three Black Widow killers from Illinois, Indiana, and Chicago all around the same time period of like the late 1800s, early 1910 mm-hmm. era. And today we are going to be starting the big one, the Mac Daddy. Talking about Bell Gunness. Gunness, not Guinness, as we previously. Yes. Gunness, <laughs> not Guinness. Yes. As much as we would love to do a case. I would love around to do a case beer. Around. Yeah, but <laughs> so this is a two-part episode. There's just too much to do it in one part. Yeah. Um. That's and fine. so I hope hey, you're ready to. I think listeners have caught on that I'm always the long-winded cases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine are normally shorter. And yours are tend to be shorter. You're better at summarizing, I think. I struggle with summarizing things because I am a details person. Yeah. So I tend to be long-winded because I'm like, but what about this detail? Yeah. But what about that one? And then I try to like take details out and I'm like, wait, but then this doesn't make sense if you don't know all these details. Yeah. So then I, it gets, it spins out of control. Yeah, well, you know. What are you like going to do? Um, that's kind of how I felt about this case. I was like, so what do I include? What do I not include? Because I feel like all yeah. of it is kind of important. I did take some stuff out because I wanted to. And so I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it, it just wasn't super relevant. Yeah. It, but it's really good color and like detail for the story. Gotcha. So if you're interested in that, I will go ahead and point you to our main source for this, which is a book by Harold Schechter called Hell's Princess, The Mystery of Bell Gunness, Butcher of Men. Oh, yes. It's um, a really good book. And I was kind of nervous to recommend it for a couple reasons, but I'm going to go ahead and say definitely the number one source for this um, particular true crime story. If you want to know why I'm concerned about recommending it, go read some of the Goodreads reviews or the reviews on Amazon. You'll kind of know what I'm talking about. But I didn't find it to be particularly difficult to get through, like race wise, personally. Oh, okay. Because, you know, it's it's yeah but all that to be said definitely the number one source for this so if you want any more detail than what i'm gonna give that's kind of where i would go gotcha okay cool hold on to your butts holding okay bell gunness was originally born in salbu which is a small area of norway to a family of eight children and she lived that farm life from a young age she was very strong And by the age of 14, she was working in the fields for neighbors and friends, doing mostly cattle work, you know, like milking cows and Mm -hmm. corralling cows and petting cows and what else do you do with cows? cows. Washing, drying, blow drying them. (laughs) Blow drying. I don't know. (laughs) She's working with the cows. I think that's more of a thing that happens today than back then, but Oh, yeah. yeah. They definitely didn't have a blow dryer. No. So it's interesting that the people of Selbu remember her differently. So- some people 
specifically the ones who like employed her remember her as a hardworking and diligent woman while others well here's just a quote for you quote she is remembered by many as a very bad human being capricious and extremely malicious she had unpretty habits always in the mood for dirty tricks talked little and was a liar already as a child as a grown-up she was still little respected and was a scum of society oh my so we have mixed reviews of bell tell us how you really feel i know um also i think i talk about this at the end too but she changes her name a lot throughout this whole thing I think her name originally was Brynhild, obviously, when she was from Norway. Yeah. Um, But I just went ahead and it's all the same. I'm going to call her Belle the entire time so you're not confused. Yeah. Confusion's sake. I don't miss, I don't want to like completely wash away her heritage. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's just that even when she moves to the US, she changes it a couple times. She goes from Belle to Bella to different names. So we're just going to keep it one the whole time. Cool. Cool. As for the opinions of Belle, I'm sure we will have our own by the end of the episode. Usually that's the case. (laughs) (laughs) I have mine now, but you won't probably have yours until, well, you'll have one today. And then at the end of part two, you'll be like, well, I don't know. Except I think you'll know. Yeah. It's one of those. So basically, Belle's older sister had moved away and settled into Chicago a few years prior. And she had gotten married to a man named John. And eventually he was making enough money that he paid and invited Belle to come and live with them. So her sister's name was Nellie, and that's when she modernized her name to, I believe, Bella, but we're going to call her Belle. Okay. She started doing, like, housekeeping work and laundry work, which is pretty normal because at this point in this era, there is an influx of these um, Norwegian immigrants. Mm -hmm. And they were really settling in and people, a lot of them worked in housekeeping to kind of get their foot in the door in America. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And this is where we see money becoming really, really, really important to her. So she would do anything for money and she really wanted a rich husband. Her sister said that cash was the only thing on Belle's mind and that she worked a lot until she found her first husband. Who was, by the way, not rich. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how we ended up there, but she was comfortable. Like, yeah. But definitely not rich. Okay. Yeah. His name was Mads Sorensen, M A D S, Mads. Um, he was a night watchman at a department store. Okay. Uh, the first 10 years of their marriage was really quiet. She was really trying to have kids and she was really focused on that. She stopped working so much. I mean, she still worked a lot, but. She kind of stopped the grind and focused on children. In the area, she was known for, like, really loving the kids around and giving them little gifts and having a really strong maternal instinct. And she just really wanted a kid. Yeah. So it was a bit of a point of contention for Belle and her sister Nellie when Nellie had no problem conceiving and popped out five kids. Ah, yes. I mean, that's rough, but... yeah. It, I think it still it's, happens today. Where oh, absolutely, and it's it's just sad when it comes between you and somebody you're close with. Yeah, that people sometimes can't just accept that. Well, for whatever, it's not Nellie's fault that she yeah. was, you know, the well, way she was. It does and that come you between are, them. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> I figured uh, that's where this was headed. They got into a really big argument because 
Nellie agreed to let her youngest daughter, Olga, go stay for an extended vacation with Belle and her husband, Mads, Mm -hmm. for about six weeks, which I think at this point in history, pretty normal. You had a lot of kids and they were all young. So she sent her over there. Well, when the time came for her to go pick up Olga, Belle made Nellie and her husband, John, physically come in and remove Olga from the home. She wasn't like, well, come take her. She argued and argued and argued. Like, she was of the mindset, like, you have four kids. I want one. Just give me this one. And Nellie's like, you're not going to take my youngest child. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. The kicker to this story, though, is that it's Belle who cuts off the relationship. She thought that Nellie was being so selfish by not giving her the child that she just wouldn't speak to her. Oh, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it. it doesn't it doesn't make sense by reasonable standards, but, but like but when dealing with somebody that probably guessing Belle isn't, you know, the epitome of mental health I mean, perfection. I wouldn't think so, no. Um, so actually, yeah. I mean, if you think about anybody we all know somebody, even yeah. if we're not related to them, we've all known somebody that struggles with mental health issues and they just are so focused on self that it's like they totally don't realize that she's being outrageous that they're being yeah that they're that their expectations of other people are completely outrageous yeah yeah um in 1891 bell would get her wish of adopting a child she met the olson family who had an eight-month-old daughter named jenny jenny's mother was dying and according to bell at the end of her life She handed Jenny to Belle and told her to take care of her. Okay. The husband went along with it in his grief, but later he did try to sue for custody back of his daughter. Gotcha. But Belle won. Well. So that's how she got her first child. Do we know was the husband remarried when he He was remarried? Okay. Mm -hmm. So at that point, maybe it was just a matter of like the court viewed it as, well, the kid's been with her and knows her yeah. as i couldn't figure out when yeah. um when he tried to sue for custody i don't know if it was like a within a year or if it was like a few years out yeah it was hard to i to, couldn't tell yeah despite making a, you know not a ton of money bell and mads eventually saved up enough to buy a candy store in town it mostly had like confectionery stuff and like current day candy, like popular candy, but it also was like a kind of a general store with like basic groceries and some basic yeah, stuff, you know? Okay. Yeah. They had the store for about a year and it wasn't doing super well. And unfortunately, there was a fire. So Belle and three year old Jenny were walking down to the store on the street when suddenly Belle started screaming, Fire, fire, there's a fire, there's a fire. And the next thing you know, she's explaining to police and insurance agents about how a kerosene lamp had exploded, causing the complete ruin of the store. Agents couldn't actually find the glass from the exploding lamp, though. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. I I mean, the second that you said the store, like, wasn't doing well and then there was a fire. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't want to interrupt. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, though, the insurance companies kind of gave up and they paid up, giving them a big chunk of change for their investment that they had lost. And it wasn't that she was necessarily a good liar. I think it was just that she wasn't backing down at all. 
Check. <laughs> yeah. I'm checking off my list of narcissistic behavior. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and eventually they sold the business back to one of the original building owners and they bought a house in the suburbs, which was like in the Austin area of this town. Okay. And um moved. And they're still near Chicago? Yeah. Okay. Um and eventually they had four more children. Oh, so she eventually did get pregnant or they adopted. She would say that the children were hers, but the math ain't mathin' on that friend because she had four children who were very close in age, and so she would have had to consecutively pop out out two sets of twins right back to back. I mean, I'm not going to say that that's impossible because it's not. No, and she was in her 40s, but she had had so so much trouble conceiving up until this point to have them back to back like that. A little suspicious. Did... But how do you <laughs> I have yeah. so many questions? Well, you don't have any answers, so <laughs> yeah, I figure we don't know like, the exact like birth date or anything like that, or there's no records, there's no like nobody saw her. Did people see her pregnant? I mean, especially Mm-mm. with twins, Mm-mm. I was enormous when I was pregnant with my twins. <laughs> Ain't um, nobody gonna miss me, yeah, no, not really. No. like that's okay, yeah. <laughs> In all likelihood, they were probably either kidnapped or um, yeah. more likely she had found mothers who needed to get rid of their children and like either were they either paid her or she paid them yeah. and she took in the children. So she had four children. She had Jenny, Caroline, Myrtle, Axel, and Lucy. So five. Okay. Total. But no matter how she uh, obtained said children, two of them would not make it. So it's really hard to be certain if they met like a weird or twisted fate in the hands of Balgunis. But in all likelihood, the infant mortality rate of this time period is like yeah. crazy high. Yeah. And so they probably could have just died of like tuberculosis SIDS. or something or SIDS or. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's 1989. No, I'm so sorry. It's <laughs> I was eight- like, wait a second, friend. <laughs> it's 1898. I was 10 years old in 1989. <laughs> And no, 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 it was. I am not ancient. (laughs) It was 1898. I'm so sorry. Some days I feel like it. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, so she went from being a mother of five to being a mother of three, unfortunately. Now, this is something that's not technically relative to the story, but I thought it was interesting enough to include. Not too long after their children passed away, Mads was offered in on a brand new investment. There was a new mining deal going on in Alaska. And this could be their big break, right? So the two of them decide to jump headfirst into the investment, and they even put their beautiful house in the suburbs that she loved, this three-story beautiful home, up for collateral. Oh, no. Unfortunately, after a while, they were, like, basically they were waiting on word to come back from the company to send Mads to Alaska to go do this mining project. Yeah. Well, two months in and they didn't hear anything. So they demanded to see all of the paperwork and like the Yeah. The financials. It was a scam. Yeah. So they actually filed a lawsuit and it was a really stressful time for them financially, but they did end up winning and they were able to keep their home. So it's just kind of a little blip on the radar, but it was interesting to me that that's kind of what happened there. My goodness. Yeah. Mads had returned back to his job as a night's watchman, 
And Belle had returned to her days of pinching pennies. Um, and she was not super pleased with that. So I don't think you'll be super surprised to learn that one night in their home, a portion of their house caught on fire. What? Part Let me of- guess. It was a kerosene lamp. I, We don't know. Um, but part of their house and their belongings were lost and a $650 insurance payout was um, issued, which I don't know how much that is in today's money. I forgot to do the math. Just $650? Yeah, but it's a lot. Yeah. Well, I'll just do it now. Basically like $4,000. So, so I mean, I wouldn't want to lose my belongings and even a portion of my house for $4,000. Well, I'm sure it was very carefully selected. Yeah, belongings. that's true. Yeah, it wasn't as much as she wanted, but she did have her eyes open now for any sort of opportunity. Mm. And did an opportunity present itself? Oh, boy. So her first husband, Mads, had a life insurance policy for about $2,000, and it was set to expire on July 30th, 1990. 1890. I wrote 1990. Oh, my Lord. 1890. 1890. (laughs) Okay. It was getting close to this point, and so he decided that he was going to take out a new policy that was going to be worth $3,000. Okay. And he thought, well, the smartest thing to do would be to have the policy go into effect a little bit before the old policy lapses, just in case of anything, and that way they're not without coverage. Mm, Yeah. The new policy and the old policy had the exact same end date slash start date. So it was July 30th, 1890. And it was a Monday morning. Mads, you just set yourself up. So on that very Monday morning, a doctor was called to the home after Belle summoned him. Her husband, Mads, had come home with a headache and she had given him some medicine and sent him up to bed. She went to go downstairs and continue cooking dinner for the children. She went back upstairs to check on him and he was dead. She posed that the pharmacist had simply given her morphine in place of what she had given him because it was like a painkiller in powder form. It was just like just a mix them up. Whoopsies. Just a little switcheroo. Those pharmacists. Yeah. Watch out for them. They literally had no other evidence because she had already conveniently thrown away the package that it had come in. And so they called it a cerebral hemorrhage and they went on their merry way. Well. Yeah. She came out $5,000 richer, which is basically $160,000 in today's money. Okay. So after his death, she started thinking that maybe the kids would be happier on a farm. I don't know why she would ever think that. But she had grown up on a farm, and so for her, kind of makes sense. So she started looking for a farm to move to. And she basically ended up finding one. Uh, This guy was looking to unload some land that I think, honestly, I think this land is cursed. That's a story for another time, but there's so many stories about this specific farm. Like outside of her? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And the people who live on it now are like, yeah, my son is super haunted. (laughs) Like, it's, yeah. Oh, my. Oh, well. Um, She buys this farm in LaPorte, Indiana, and her and her remaining three children just head on over. During their marriage, uh, Belle and Mads had had a boarder in their home named Peter Gunnis. So her and Peter actually run into each other. They reacquainted themselves, and it turned out that Peter was a widower just like Belle. Except that Peter had a young daughter because his wife had died in childbirth. 
And Bell had just bought a 40-acre farm, which made money, and she could then care for his child. So that helps explain why this very attractive Nordic man took up with Belle, who had some of the worst physical descriptions that I have literally ever read of a human being. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so like like every description is just colorfully mean. Like it's this they tried to be mean, I swear. Well, that first description you quoted wasn't Yeah, well, here's that was another harsh. One. Here's another one about her physical appearance. Quote fat, heavy featured woman with a big head covered in a mop of mud-colored hair, small eyes, huge hands and arms, a gross body supported by feet grotesquely small. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's just mean. Yeah. It was... So, I mean... Oh, my. I can't imagine what she must have looked like. There's pictures, but, like, I don't feel like the pictures do the quotes justice. Like, they don't... I don't think they're that bad, but... Maybe like she looks better in the pictures. I, I mean, I don't. Think are they she looks picture good. pictures or are they drawings? They're picture pictures. Okay, so I mean, I don't know. You'll have to make your but own. But it could be one of those things that their their descriptions are also skewed by the fact that people were like saying she's mean, she's yeah, whatever. So, so obviously, there's a big difference between well, she's not really pretty, but she's got a great personality, so we love her. Yeah, and. She's unattractive and she's just a horrible person. So that makes her 10 times less attractive than she already was to begin with. There's a couple pictures of her. I'm sure we'll post a few. And the book has some really good ones. Um, So make your own assumption on that. Yeah. (laughs) So her and Peter got married. And um, she'll keep the Gunnis name. And just a week after their wedding, though, Peter's daughter did unfortunately pass away of a lung issue. Um, we're not sure if it was truly a lung issue or what happened, but that's what her cause of death was listed as. Okay. About eight months later into their marriage, Jenny, who is probably like 10 to 12 at this point, um, goes to wake up the neighbors and she's holding a stove poker. She tells them that her mom wanted them to come help and that Peter, her husband, had been badly burned. They found, when they got there, a hysterical bell and Peter face down in his own blood on the floor. They rushed a young doctor in from town, but it was too late and Peter was pronounced dead. So her story was that he had gone into the kitchen to get his shoes and when he bent over, he accidentally bumped into something that caused a meat grinder to fall off a shelf and hit him on the head. He told her that he was fine, and then a couple hours later, she had found him dead on the parlor floor. The burn of apparently had happened earlier in the day. Okay, because that's why my face yeah. was like, nothing but confusion. Yeah. Didn't she say a burn? Okay. So I thought, okay, two things. One, maybe she told Jenny to go get somebody about the burn, thinking that she'd blame that, and then changed her story. Or maybe Jenny just got confused because all she knew was that her stepfather had been burned earlier in the day and then all of a sudden he's dead. So she just put two and two together. Hard to tell. Jenny's interrogation, very interesting. It was very clear that she was coached. Hmm. So it's hard to tell how that happened, but either way, that's kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, The doctors were very suspicious and they really did interrogate her. But eventually, they left it alone because Peter's death was one of many strange deaths that occurred at this exact time in Laporte. 
There were like several things going on that were just unexplainable and wacky. And I think that they were just like, well, we kind of know what happened with this one. We really need to spend our resources on other things. And it it just got lumped into like a group of things. So Hmm. all the details about those weird deaths are in the source material. I just didn't want to spend a ton of time on it. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's fine. You said that the place is weird Mm -hmm. in general, so. But, like, the detectives, investigators, and the community, like, they knew she had done it. They didn't think she was innocent. They just couldn't definitively prove anything. Right. So, strangely, after his death, she acquired another child, a boy named Philip, and it was right after Peter's funeral. Again, nobody really knows where Philip came from. I bought that baby cash. <laughs> what baby cash? What oh in the gosh. world? How do you just acquire children? And she acquires several children. Um, oh, Lord. I don't even think this is the last child that she acquires. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so Peter's extended family had hated her, and the neighbors didn't like her, and she didn't have any friends. And because Peter had died, that meant that she had taken over all of the manual labor on the farm. And she, not only was she lonely, she needed help. Yeah. Right. So she just bought a new child no. to help. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, she actually put out an ad in a Norwegian newspaper and started hunting for help. Olaf Lindbo responded, and he was an immigrant who had come to Chicago about three years prior, and he headed to the farm to start work. He packed up everything he owned, $600 of his life savings, and went to the farm. She hired him on the spot, and then they very quickly had a very close relationship. The community actually just assumed that they were engaged and to be married, and his letters home kind of indicated that, too, that he loved this woman and that they were having an, not like an affair, but like they were together. Yeah. And so not long after Olaf posted the letter from, to his father... One of Bell's neighbors, his name was Chris Christofferson, um, received word. Like Frozen? No, like Chris and then Christofferson. <laughs> Chris is yeah, the first name. Christofferson is the last name. But it does sound like Christoph from Frozen. Yeah. And Olaf. <gasps> Christoph and Olaf. <laughs> um, basically, Chris received word from Mrs. Gunnis that she, quote, she needed help because her hired hand, Olaf, had left in the middle of a major job. Bell was apparently field plowing corn <laughs> when Chris arrived. Uh, when he asked where um, Olaf had gone, she just explained that he had gone to St. Louis to see the World's Fair and that he was going to go buy some land there. Okay. Yeah. A man named, Sw- oh, wait, maybe this is a woman. I don't know. Swan Nicholson <laughs> heard a different story that um, Olaf had gone home to see the new king of Norway crowned because apparently there was a new king being crowned in Norway. Okay. I didn't fact check that against the times, but that's what the story was. Yeah. And when his father, Olaf's father, received no communication from his son, and he sent a letter asking, like, what's up, bro? (laughs) What's up? What's up? Belle sent a letter back saying to what she knew, Olaf had gone west to take up a homestead somewhere else process that i'm gonna get a drink (laughs) i'm trying i'm trying to process that's just lots Hmm. of stories yeah 
So this exact method shall be repeated. I won't be able to touch on all of the deaths or mysterious disappearances, should I say, and keep it into two episodes. <laughs> so let's just break down the methodology and then we can get on to a few of the important ones. Yeah. She would place an ad in a Norwegian newspaper looking for help. And the ad would read, quote, Wanted, a woman who owns a beautifully located and valuable farm in first-class condition, wants a good and reliable man as a partner in same. Some little cash is required and will be furnished first-class security. Basically, then they were directed to um, write to like a like a P.O. box, essentially, like a, par- a part in town that she can go pick it up in. Yeah. From what I understand. So sometimes the men would just show up. They would write once and just show up and they communicated a little bit. Other times, um, they would write for a longer period of time in which she would encourage them to leave their town without telling anybody, move to Laporte with all of their belongings and all of their money, promising them marriage, a farm, money, family, and love. Okay. They would come in, work for a while, and then eventually just disappear. That's kind of hard to wrap your mind around from today, like to think people would just write letters and then you're going to pack all your stuff up and go move to this person. I mean, well, it's the 1800s catfishing, basically. Yes, it's like catfishing. (laughs) So, but it's just so, I mean, catfishing is so hard to believe that people like do that with catfishing, but at least they think like that they they think they're getting pictures of this person and they, they even sometimes like talk to them on a phone or, you know, but back then, like, just literally, that's it. You get text. You get a written letter that could be from anyone. Mm -hmm. That's so hard to wrap your mind around. And, like, what's crazier is that they were actually from the person that they thought they were talking to, which is, it just turned out to be even scarier than if it was a lie. Like, (laughs) you get here and it's horrible. Uh, I mean, the the farm is pretty. It It wasn't, wasn't, like, it was just. They were probably expecting, like, okay, when they see her. And she looks like a dump truck. <laughs> like, she, like- was, she was like, she would always just say like, well, the world has been hard on me. Yeah. <laughs> so that so, was her, that was her reason. I mean, that's yeah. one thing. Yeah. Little did they know. Yeah. Okay. So we're not sure how many ad, like replies this ad brought in, but the hunter, not the hunter. Oh my gosh. The mailman, his name was DJ Hunter. <laughs> that's where i got confused i, I can't like, read i almost said how did you get hunter from mailman his name is dj hunter <laughs> okay i'm not that dumb i know that's <laughs> i was surprised um he delivered mail to the farm and he reported that she typically received between like one to four letters every day but like sometimes she would get like eight to ten wow so quite a bit this and, is like a full-time job now yeah and according to the testimony of a boy named Emil Groening, who was, I love this quote, a square cut, commonsensical, happy 19 year old. <laughs> okay. He was a hired farmhand for her. He said that, quote, Mrs. Gunnis received men visitors all the time. A different man came nearly every week to stay at the house. She introduced them as cousins from Kansas, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Chicago. Most of the men that came brought trunks with them. Mrs. Gunnis kept the cousins with her all the time in the parlor and in her bedroom. She was careful to make sure the children stay away from her cousins. (laughs) 
This is where we need video again. <laughs> like, we're just sitting here in a stare off of shifty eyes. Like, shifty what? Eyes. <laughs> what? That's, um, and nobody, I don't know. That's crazy. Like, not that the children, the children weren't going to say anything. Yeah. They didn't know. They didn't know. They're kids, but yikes. Okay. You're, none of them stayed very long, and none of them took their things when they left. Like so he this kid sees all of this and he doesn't think anything of Conveniently, it. Conveniently, they like all just left these trunks full of like <laughs> all of their belongings and cash. Like, these weird cousins. Yeah, he probably just so, thought she was part of a Norwegian mafia or maybe. something. Yeah, for <laughs> like, real. And so she had one room that just had all of their things in it. She had like a murder room. And it had like 15 trunks and like piles of things clothing and specifically watches she loved watches and like why would she keep all of it i don't know like keep what's valuable i guess i guess sell it at least yeah to exactly yeah um there was one point where she had one of these men uh, either a hired hand or one of the guys that came to help i i don't remember now um she had him drag dig some trash pits some very large trash pits air quotes yeah so if you listen to the other Black Widow episodes, you will probably remember me talking about how sometimes Black Widows start to see their daughters as competition. Oh, no. Well, Jenny had grown into quite a pretty young woman, and around 17, she had many suitors, including Emil, the farmhand, the like 19-year-old yeah. commonsensical boy. Well, that might be why he didn't turn her in. Yes. So... Belle arranges for a university professor from, like, a, a Lutheran university to come and escort Jenny to California to take her to school. So one day she was there telling people about this arrangement, and then the next day she was gone. She would literally never be heard from again, and unfortunately, we have to assume that she's one of Belle's victims. Probably. And, like, Jenny was not excited about going to school and, like, she was really upset the whole time. And part of me is like, well, did she know that she wasn't actually going to school? Like, how much did she know? Like, yeah. Because, you know, you're smart. Kids are smart and they know what's going on. So, who knows? And when Emil um, lost Jenny, the reason that he came to work every day, he left. He had no interest to be there and he, yeah. he quit. She then hires the next key player in our story. She hires a man named Ray Lanthier. Now, Ray was 11 years younger than Belle, and he was quite the character. They started having an allured love affair, and he would tell anyone in town that would listen to him. <laughs> he was really proud of this. It was weird. And <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm just so like, what? Yeah. It was really more of them just sleeping together and he worked on the farm, but he thought it was more than that, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was a drunk and a gambler and he was kind of the black sheep of his family. Okay. So Belle was like his mommy issues, <laughs> I guess. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah. And he wasn't really what Belle was looking for, just kind of something in the meantime, which is horrible, but that's how she thought of it. All the while that Ray was falling in love with her, she had begun communicating with a man named Andrew Helgeline from one of her ads. They exchanged tons of letters, and this is by far the person that Belle seems the most invested in. 
their letters went from business related to more romantic related from business partner to life partner she would always circle back in her letters to like take everything from the bank and come to the port in secret tell nobody that you're coming like i'll be here for you i'm waiting on you so here's so a- she still is kind of following that whole line uh-huh. but of bring everything yes. tell no one because i've got big plans for you but she actually took more time yeah for some reason this is one that like she was super invested in so here's one of the quotes from um her letters to him and all of the quotes i've been reading are from that book okay that's why i mentioned it at the beginning it's also in the show notes it says quote we shall be so happy when you get here then i will make a cream pudding and many other good things How lonesome it must seem for you to be up there all alone, but you must hurry and come to me as soon as you can. You have been there long enough and worked hard for many a day, and now you must take it easier for the rest of your days. So, that was kind of in the spring. And then as the seasons changed and winter started coming, she became a little bit more urgent, insisting that he comes to the port. When he doesn't come by Christmas, she gets a little bit upset. Okay. And by spring, I wouldn't have wanted to be in the Gunnis house because she was very used to getting what she wanted from these men because they were all excited to come get money in a farm somehow because they couldn't see her. (laughs) She was still upset Mm. that she couldn't get Andrew to move here. I think a lot of it was like a power trip for her. She was like, yeah, that's what it's here. You damn it. You know? Yeah. Either Andrew is also playing her or he just wasn't stupid. It's a lot of the above, I think. Yeah. Um, Again, he delayed through the summer. And again, he delayed through fall. Then his mother passed away, so he stayed through Christmas. But in January, nearly two years after they started communicating, from what I thought, the math I was doing in my head. Yeah. He finally did make his way to Laporte. When he got there... He showed up on the farm, this big burly man. Belle promptly instructed Ray to go sleep in the barn and took Anthony to the bedroom. And he stayed with her and she sent Ray away. Like, shoo, shoo, fly. He was very upset. He told a lot of people he was very angry. So relatively soon after Andrew arrives, but I don't remember exactly like the timeline, Belle sent Ray to the bank with some certificates of deposits that she wanted cashed out. They told her it would take a few days, and she left, even though she complained about it taking so long. But a few days later, the full draft came in. It was nearly $75,000 in today's money. Eventually, her and Ray went into town and picked up the money, and they mentioned to somebody at that point that Andrew was sick, and that's why he was at home. Later that day, when they got back to the farm, Belle then decided to send Ray on an errand to do a horse swap with someone in town. She gave him express instructions that if the person he was supposed to do the swap with didn't show up, that she wanted him to stay in town for the rest of the night, not to come home. Hmm. She wanted him out of the house. He had taken a friend with him on the errand, and eventually he told his friend, like, this guy's not going to show up. I'm just going to go ahead and head home for the night instead of staying in town. So take that as you will. He went home. I was just about to ask, so is she ever going to kill Ray or... No, she doesn't kill Ray. Yeah, so he dodged a bullet. Did he, though? We'll see. 
Uh oh. Talk about that next week. <laughs> or Monday. <laughs> It'll come out on Monday, not next week, but um Andrew, however, was never seen again. Of course. Yeah. But Andrew did have a family who cared about him and was not okay with him not being like him leaving yeah. in secret. Yeah. And his brother Io Helgeline decided to do some digging. Basically, he t- he talked around and he finds a ton of letters that were left behind. He had been staying with a friend and he had left some of the letters between him and a woman named Belle Gunness. Mm-hmm. With these, he was able to piece together that he was on this farm in Laporte. Gotcha. And with that, I'm going to stop. And I know that you don't want me to stop here because there's a lot of gruesome details that you don't have answers to yet. But I promise this is the best way to do the story. I've tried to split it up in like four <laughs> other ways. And I think this is the best way to do it. Okay. So next week, we will talk about Andrew. Did Belle get caught? Did she not get caught? And we'll talk a lot about Ray Lamphere. Okay. There's way more to this than you think there's going to be. I promise you that. Hmm. And I promise we will talk about how she killed these men. Okay. Fair. But not yet. If they didn't get to know then, you don't get to know now. You have to wait just like they did. The investigators <laughs> had to wait too. So oh, that's Belle Gunn is part yeah. one. All right. I'm intrigued. I hope everybody else is and I hope you're not mad at me. And just so everybody else, all the listeners know, I also have to wait. Yeah, Because we're actually not recording them both on the same day like we normally do. No, we're out of time so today. So I'm going to have to wait my turn yep. as well. Exactly. So. It'll be worth it. I promise. All right. Stick around. It'll be out Monday. You don't have to wait a full week, just a couple days. No. We're too impatient for that. Well, yeah. All righty. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at burdenofproofpod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.